I talk a lot. Sorry. <laughs> do, you oh, want no. a, do you want a piece of that? <laughs> well, let me just say goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Book Talk Etc., a podcast bound to grow your TBR. I'm Tina. And I'm Renee. And this is a conversational podcast about books and more from two Midwest mood readers who are easily distracted by new releases. And today, we're so excited to chat with author and podcaster, Bianca Murray. If you enjoyed listening, we'd love for you to follow us on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you have a minute, please consider leaving us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or sharing us on social media. All of this truly helps other book lovers find us. Hey, everyone. Quick housekeeping note before we jump into the show. We wanted to make you aware that we won't have a new episode on the main show next week on June 13th. We usually take around two Tuesdays off a year, one in summer and one around the holidays. So consider this our brief summer hiatus. However, patrons can look forward to a new bonus episode that week. And since this is the start of a new month, we wanted to take the time to invite you to join us on Patreon. Our Patreon group is such a wonderful, supportive community of readers. And if you've ever wanted your reading life to be more of a social experience, this is a great way to find that connection. Not just with us, but with our robust community of readers. Becoming a patron is a great way to support the show share what you're reading, and of course, get access to our exclusive bonus content. For $5 a month, you get access to two bonus episodes and one live event that's often recorded, as well as invites to our BTE Discord server and Facebook group. You'll also have access to everything we've created since we started our Patreon way back in 2021. And of course, you also help keep our main show ad-free. Our June live event is our Zoom BT book club discussion about a highly anticipated book, Chain Gang All-Stars by Nana Kwame Adeje Brinya. You can also expect our June What's in the Mailbag and our own spin on summer reading guides. If you're interested, head to patreon.com slash booktalk, etc. or look for the link in our show notes. Thank you for your support. Hi, everyone. We're so excited today. Hey, Renee, and hey, Bianca. We're excited to chat with you. Hello. We are welcoming Bianca Murray to the show today. Hey, Renee, what a joy it is to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. And I am sure this is not the first time you've heard Bianca's name on our podcast. I know I just brought one of her books to my all-time favorites list, and certainly we've chatted about her books previously. But in case you're not aware, Bianca Murray co-hosts the popular podcast, The Shit No One Tells You About Writing, which is aimed at emerging writers. She teaches creative writing through the podcast and was named the winner of the Excellence in Teaching Award for Creative Writing at the University of Toronto's School of Continuing Studies in 2021. She is the author of three previous novels, Hum If You Don't Know the Words, If You Want to Make God Laugh, and The Witches of Moonshine Manor, as well as the Audible original, The Prin Viper. She lives in Toronto with her husband and fur babies. Welcome to Book Talk, etc., Bianca. Thanks for having me, and thank you for for talking about my books on the show. It's always such a thrill when I I hear that. Oh my gosh, I still remember where I was when I read, If You Want to Make God Laugh, you you did not, you made me laugh in some parts, but also cry a whole bunch. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure I messaged you. (laughs) It was like, I'm not happy right now. But yes, obviously (laughs) that for me particularly made a huge impact. Thank you. I remember when uh, Stephen Rowley did that to me with Lillian the Octopus. Hmm. I was uh, flying to South Africa. This was before I got published. And I was ugly crying on that flight to the point that one of this, you know, staff were like, are you okay, madam? So yeah, I'm with you. (laughs) (laughs) That's the best though. That is. I, I, when I was prepping for the show today, I had a aha surreal moment because I started blogging way back in 2016. And I think it wasn't short, you know, it was shortly after probably 2017-ish when I read Hum, if you don't know the words. I was pulling that review up today and then it hit me like, I get to go talk to this author. Yeah. I mean, that is just wild to me. (laughs) It literally never gets old. It really doesn't. So again, we obviously thank you for coming on our little show and chatting a bit about, you know, we're bringing you into our format. We'll start our show the way we always do with our loving ladies. And Bianca, would you like to go first? Yeah, absolutely. So what I just finished last night was Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, 
which was one of my favorite series and it wrapped up so, so beautifully. And I was sobbing last night during the episode when she finally gets the recognition from her father and the respect that she should have had forever. I I mean, that's probably a bit spoilery, but I won't tell you in what way, but it was just amazing. And then The Last of Us, you know, that was a little while ago. I think that is a masterclass in storytelling. Just genius. That's the post-apocalyptic one, right? And I didn't know what it was about. It was very popular, buzzy when it first came out. And my little girl was in the room. Who's two? <laughs> Probably not the best thing for her to be around, but she looks similar to the the little girl in the in the show. She has this big curly hair. So did the little girl. I'm like, Lily, look. And if you've seen the show, you know kind of why that was not ideal. So immediately I shut it off and never came back because it was it was amazing. But I was like, all right, I'm going to need to be in the right headspace for this one. But I always love when folks bring TV shows because I need recommendations, you know, in the rare time that I do turn to TV. I also barely watch television. I'm yeah. mostly a reader. But honestly, if you're going to only watch two series this year, have it be Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and have it be The Last of Us. I, I was very nervous to watch it because you know, it's like mutant mushrooms kind of <laughs> in this post-apocalyptic world. It was terrifying. But the humanity and the storytelling, and it just, it gets you in all the fields. Like in one episode, you are laughing and crying and then laughing and crying. And it was just incredible. Oh, oh, that sounds one. really good. I will go next. Today, I have a product and it is called Wonderside. W-O-N-D-E-R-C-I-D-E. I will link to it. It is a flea tick and mosquito spray for dogs, cats, and the home. What I love about this, Tina's laughing at me. I, I know I bring some odd things sometimes, but this is a good one because it is made with natural essential oils because I walk outside in the woods every day and I can't tell you how many ticks I've found in the house lately. I think they they jump on Vinny. He's treated with flea and tick, and then they jump off inside the house. Oh, I can't handle it. But I don't want to spray myself with like strong chemicals and all of that. So anyway, they recommended this at my local pet store. And so far, so good. I was able to get the—it's a very small four-ounce bottle. I got the peppermint scent. It does smell like peppermint. It was $13. It's a light scent. I just spray it on my clothes— and my shoes, and like a light spray, just a light spray on me. They said I could spray Vinny, but I I haven't sprayed him. So far, so good. It's not sticky. I don't smell like chemicals. And I want to put this on anybody else's radar who's looking for something for flea ticks and mosquitoes that is not like a strong chemical mm-hmm. spray. So this one is Wonderside. That sounds amazing. And I'm laughing because we recorded an episode two, three weeks ago. And Renee just goes, ah, was a tick in her room where she was oh, when we right. were recording. And I so forgot. I was, it was on my yeah. neck. Yeah. That's was, right. Yeah, exactly. So it's good that you found a solution. I, I will definitely try that out because I don't, yeah, the deep and like, you know, kind of the, mm-hmm. the smell of it gets to me. But I feel like this is kind of more of a gentle alternative. Yeah. I like it. I've I've used it a couple weeks. I didn't, I didn't want to bring it until I, I had. So you've added it. Tested it out a little bit. <laughs> right. Well, let me tell you about mine. And I love this segment. It's our random whatever we've been loving lately. And I've been loving Mooncat nail polish. I'm literally obsessed with this stuff. Okay. Michelle Lin is the founder and CEO. What I love about it, the colors are stunning. You can't really get it through Zoom. It just looks like a light blue. But when you're out in the sun, this particular color is kind of iridescent. And I have ones that are fully iridescent that like reflect rainbow in the sunshine. I, we were driving to Nashville and I kept telling my husband, look at my hands. Will you look at my hands? He's like, great. I see it. It's beautiful. Like, But I, I tried so much nail polish. I'm a big nail polish girl. And I was very impressed with this one. The holographics to me are the big standouts and they're not chunky glitter. It's very smooth. I bought four when they were having their semi-annual sale and I've already gone back for two more. So I'm very into it. Someone on Instagram asked me how long it lasts and I can get, you know, seven to 10 days. So really kind of for me, that's pretty great with the amount of typing and stuff I do. And I had to bring it because I don't see myself wearing anything else anytime soon. So this was the Mooncat nail polish. Love it. You know, fun fun for summer. You've actually encouraged me to try nail varnish because I never wear it because one, 
I have no coordination. So when I paint my nails, it looks like my fingers are bleeding. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and two, I cannot sit still long enough for it to dry. And then I always smush it and it chips off. So Tina, I am sold. Yes. And I will tell you, if you decide to try it yourself, I got a nail polish top coat that I'll put you on. I'll You've link to the top before. coat. Yes. yes. I love it. It's so amazing. And no one ever talks about it. I'll let you know because it dries quickly because I'm the same way. No way am I sitting still, <laughs> but it dries quickly. <laughs> and if you do smush it, it kind of like, you know, evens everything out. So we'll share that too. We definitely want to dive in and talk to you a little bit, of course, about your podcast, your writing, um, just book questions in general. So if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about your background. And did you always want to be a writer? Uh, you know what? I remember the discovering that magic was real. Because, you know, as children, we get told about magic and and Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy, and we're always a bit skeptical. For me, I discovered magic was real when I realized that you could take 26 letters shuffle them around with some punctuation marks and based on that build worlds in your mind. And no sooner had I put letters together to learn how to read when I was off to the races and I was writing and creating my own stories. And it took me a very long time to publish because the inner critic is real and it's horrible, but also I didn't know what the hell I was doing (laughs) and I didn't think I had to study the craft of writing to be a writer. I was just like, well, I'm a reader and I speak English and I write things so I can just write. And my first two novels were appalling, absolutely appalling. Of course, I thought they were amazing and they were widely rejected by everyone, which was devastating at the time. And now I'm like, oh, shoot, thank goodness. Those aren't out in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, when, when I moved from South Africa to Canada, I went to the University of Toronto, studied writing, and it was the book I started then that became my debut novel, Home If You Don't Know The Words. So for me, I, magic is real. All you have to do is read and 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 write and you discover magic. Oh, I love that. I have chills. <laughs> mm-hmm. That also, as you were talking, I, I'm shaking my head. Like that makes complete sense as to how you evolved to your podcast, which I we also want to get to. But you just hearing you say that, that makes complete sense. Yes. We are all first and foremost readers. You know, yeah. I, I think every child who loves reading remembers the first time they put words together and they were like, this means this, and they could imagine it. And, you know, I don't think you... I don't think I've ever been lonely in my life since learning how to read. It's, it's this, it's company that we transport with us all the time. Mm-hmm. Happiest times, most deepest, most miserable times. It's just this constant band-aid for the soul. Mm-hmm. And I'm an only child. So growing up, like I didn't have anyone else to talk to other than my parents. So yeah, reading those were, you know, I mean, of course I had friends, but like, you're right. You're never lonely if you're a reader. I love that. Yeah, oh, I do too. Well, that kind of se- that kind of leads a little bit into something I definitely would like to know. How did you decide to start your podcast? Oh, I was teaching at U of T's School of Continuing Studies. I was teaching creative writing there, and I absolutely loved it. But I was frustrated by realizing the barriers to entry for so many writers because the courses are like $600, $700 per course. Not everyone has that kind of money. And, you know, COVID hit classes in real life classes ended. We went online and every single day I would have readers reach out to me to ask for advice on how to become writers. And I found myself giving the same advice over and over and it was kind of frustrating. And all of my summer plans got canceled along with the rest of the world. And I went, how can I reach more writers? How can I break down these barriers to entry? Because you know, what I had learned in like the last few years was huge. It was things that I'd never even thought about before. And I just thought, how amazing would this resource be for writers who cannot afford MFAs, who cannot afford writing courses, but who are so committed to their craft and who want to get better. And so without having ever listened to any podcasts in my life before, I started this podcast I remember getting a hundred listeners and I said to my husband, there are a hundred people out there who are listening to me. I think most of them were my friends who were being very <laughs> kind. And then I reached out to who is now my agent, Cece Lira from PS Literary Agency. 
And I said to her, would you like to come on the podcast and just give some advice to potential writers? She came on, I interviewed her. It was awesome. She then suggested that I reach out to Carly Waters from PS Literary and interview her as well, which we did. And that was amazing. And then I got it into my head how amazing it would be if they could come on and just do one segment on the show whereby they critiqued query letters and opening pages. Because, you know, when you're a writer, you pretty much send one query letter to an agent and you send five opening pages. And that is all you have to grab their attention from the sea of so many other writers. And they came on and they did one segment and it was so popular and it was so amazing that I asked them to become my co-hosts and they very kindly said yes. And, you know, to this day, that is part of the podcast. I, I interview authors to get their feedback on the craft of writing. But Carly and Cece look at query letters and opening pages to try and polish them and elevate them so that the people who listen to our podcast can land their dream agent when they send out the query. That's amazing. That is so like, what a f- clever, because I am a reader. I am not an author. I don't really know how books get into my hands <laughs> other than, you know, the publisher sends them to me. I, so I don't know as much about like all of that kind of initial process. So I love that you kind of open that door for people. I'm curious. So the queries, uh, they, you know, Renee was m- remarking too, they sound so good. Do you find out if any of these get made to print? But firstly, in terms of just the publishing industry, Once an author sells a book to a publisher, the book can take up to two years to get published. It is crazy how long the lead time is. Even before that, an author perhaps spends three years on a novel. It could take them up to a year to land a literary agent. Once they've landed the literary agent, they could spend another year doing revisions before they then send it out to an editor. And that could take up to a year before they get a yes from an editor. So this podcast has been going for three years and, you know, look at the cycle of this. And yet we have a good news page on our website, which is authors who've mailed us to say, I landed my agent after changing my pages based on what you said. We've had other authors who've actually now published with Zibby Books, et cetera. And that is such, it is such an honor to be a part of their journey and to have you know, being able to help them get to that point and realize these dreams. And I'm just hoping we get more and more and more. I want every author who submits to the podcast, I want everyone to get published because I am their biggest cheerleader. Oh, that's amazing. Of course, now I'm pulling up your website. (laughs) I want to say the good news. I need to check that out because I've been listening and there's been so many queries that I'm listening to and I'm like, I want to read that book. I was so curious to know if you get to find out. So I'm glad that you do find out if it gets published. But man, I would like to know some of those. I hope some of them do. Some of them are really tantalizing, just that initial page. They're incredible. Our listeners are so, so talented. It is just, it is just so sad that the publishing industry is so, so competitive. I think mm-hmm. less than 1% of books that get sent out to agents in the world will actually end up being published one day. And if you consider that Carly and Cece get hundreds of submissions every week, and yet 1% of that will go on to publish, it is just so difficult. And that is why we want our listeners to be as polished as they possibly can be. We want to give them such, you know, a leg up to, to really help their queries stand out because agents will go through something like 50 queries every day. And, you know, there will be so few of them that will grab their attention and who they will represent. And it's impossible to get your book published without a literary agent. So they are the first gatekeepers unless you go with a small indie press. So yeah, it's, it's tough. What a great reminder. Cause truly, again, I'm just a reviewer, right? And and we get them sent to, you know, you get it, wherever you get it from, library, you get it sent to you. You're like, oh, the book's in my hand. Great. Let's see about it. And now I'm like, it's kind of making me feel even worse. Like if I end up DNFing a book, I'm like, oh, so much, you know, effort has gone into getting this book even published. And here I am saying I didn't like it. Um, but I obviously not every book's for every reader. And when I hear people say they didn't like a book, I'm like, but maybe I will. Like maybe why? Like sometimes it like entices me even more. Yeah, every book should not be for every reader. And we say to authors, you will find your audience. And just because Mm -hmm. a book wasn't for you doesn't mean it wasn't a good book. 
And there are tons of books that I DNF, tons of them, because my to be read pile is just staggering. But when I DNF a book, I don't say this is a terrible book. I understand the blood, sweat, and tears that went into producing that book. I'm just like, well, it's not really the book for me. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of TBRs, a recent one of your recent episodes exploded my TBR. I'm still currently going through and seeing what comps I'm going to add to my TBR. It was a it was one of your recent episodes where you chatted with two booksellers. The amount of rapid fire comp recommendations. I'm bringing that up because I think this is such a fun part of your podcast that li- that our listeners, especially who are looking for more books, even though they also have towering TBRs, everyone wants to keep finding more books. So can you tell the listeners a little more about how you do the comp recommendations and do you do that segment pretty often? Yes. So one of the things you have to do as an author when you're pitching an agent is you need to be able to position your novel so that the agent understands where on the bookshelf it's going to be. So, for example, my last novel, The Witches of Moonshine Manor, we positioned it as the Golden Girls meets Practical Magic so that the reader instantly has an idea of what it is they should expect. And this helps booksellers position the books as well. So whenever our listeners query an agent, they have to have comparative titles to say my books is X meets Y. So once a month in our bonus episode, the last Monday of the month, we have all of our listeners call in. They have one minute to tell our booksellers what their book's about, give us the tone, give us what they think the comparative titles are. And then we have Emily Summer from East City Bookshop and RJ Witherow from Parnassus Books who listen to that and then use their incredible knowledge of books to give comparative titles. And every time I interview them, I'm just like, you're killing me here because <laughs> my Jimmy Red Pile is already huge. And now I'm like, oh, I have to read this. I have to read this. So it is an amazing resource, even if you aren't an author, to just go, well, if I love this book, then these are other books I'm going to love as well. Oh, yes. It was so much fun to listen to. And like you, I was saying, oh, that sounds good. Oh, that sounds good. I was cleaning the house at the time listening. Like, I've got to go write, I've got to go check this out, write it down, pull up Libby. Very fun. What, I mean, look at, these are just all amazing segments that you're doing. Do you have any favorite parts or aspects of the podcast that you especially enjoy? Before I even answer that, I do just want to give out a huge shout out to independent bookstores. Honestly, they are rock stars. You know, their booksellers know so much. They are so well-versed. And and when you want comparative titles, when you want recommendations, find your local independent bookstore, go ask them, and then spend money there because they are such an integral part of the community. So one, I love chatting with the booksellers. Two, authors are my rock stars. It doesn't matter that I publish. I fangirl so hard when speaking to authors that I have to like slow myself down because I'm just like, oh my God, you're amazing. You know? <laughs> and, and I love interviewing authors as well for the podcast because they've used their magic and alchemy to keep me entertained and turning pages late into the night. So, and Carly and TC also take a Q&A where they, people um, phone in with questions about publishing and they're just so incredibly generous with their time and their knowledge. So, you know, I just, I love every aspect of, of the podcast. I really do. And I love our listeners in terms of what has resonated with them and, and how it's helped them on their journey. Do you think your listener base is largely aspiring authors? Or do you think us regular readers tune in as well to get the behind the scenes? Yeah, we did a bit of a survey and we were really surprised. We expected it to just be aspiring authors. We have a lot of established published authors who listen to our podcast. We have a lot of publishing professionals who listen to the podcast. And we have a ton of just readers yeah. who, who are fascinated by the behind the scenes look at publishing. Because like you, they just picked up a book and went, okay, I'm going to read this or not. And then they see this well-oiled machine that is publishing and what it takes to publish a book. 
And so we have tons of readers who listen to the podcast as well, who, you know, have gained enormous insights and get to hear their favorite authors talking about writing in a very different way. Because on many book podcasts, authors talk about their books in a way that a book club would talk about it. But we really take a book apart and we're like, you created this scary scene. How did you do it? How did you how did you manage this? And so it's a much more intense kind of interview than what you would get from a book club discussion. Mm-hmm. I swear our book nerdery knows no end. Like we are just nerds for all of it. <laughs> like I want to know how it got published. I want to know the comps. I love the comps. And I am such a sucker. Like when you said that, it, it makes perfect sense. Why? Because I, if it depends on what the comp is, but like that is how you get readers to pick it up. Even, you know, sometimes it's a double-edged sword, I think too, because if it doesn't hold up, I think, you know, you have to be really careful about giving comps that are accurate, not just buzzy or not just, you know, oh, it's the next gone girl. Because <laughs> I think probably at this point, readers that are in the know have seen that done quite a few times. There's certain books that we like, they're just too big. Don't comp to them. Yeah. Long yeah. Girl, you know, don't don't even come to them. I have to ask because in, you mentioned authors and oh my gosh, and the fact that you speak to them about their work in such a different way. And your interview with Carolyn Kepnes, oh, I was such a delight. And everyone knows I love Joe Goldberg. And Tina's tired of hearing me say <laughs> Joe Goldberg's name. But I do. And the way that you expressed Joe Goldberg and how you fe- you felt that she created him and like the quite like how he read on the page to you that's how I felt about it so I, I do want our listeners out to go listen to that episode but what a great conversation and I learned so much about her writing process by what you asked her yes and that reminded me of something that I wanted to say thank you very much <laughs> so whenever I speak to book clubs and I speak to a ton of book clubs I'll read my book reach out say will you zoom with us and I do that and nine times out of ten what they focus on 90 percent of the time is nothing to do with the book they're interested in me as the author they're interested in my inspiration they're interested in my process etc cetera, etc cetera. and so these are really interesting things that we're able to break down on the podcast and yes Caroline oh my goodness what a rock star of an author I have also always loved Joe because do you know how difficult it is to write a psychopath in a way that makes readers readers cheer for him. And it's, it's probably the hardest thing in the world to do. And yet she did that so well. And while you're reading, you're stopping yourself and going, I am cheering on a psychopath. What does this say about me? <laughs> um, and, and just to break down the mechanics of how she did that, she allowed me to crawl into her headspace and kind of scratch around there. And it was fascinating, fascinating. Absolutely. And, <laughs> I love and, that metaphor. Scratch around inside her headspace. <laughs> See what's in there, you know, poke around a bit. Yeah. Well, she's created such an interesting guy in Joe. And I really liked your particular comment. You were talking about beta readers and early readers and reviewers talking negatively about unlikable characters. And I would love if you could expand on that a little bit from like what were what did you mean exactly like Tina and I especially and I know a lot of our listeners are the we don't mind unlikable characters sometimes the more unlikable the better so that was interesting to hear you say I I love hearing that because as an author what happens is we get told don't go read your reviews don't read your reviews <laughs> and of course what do we do we read our reviews <laughs> and so often readers who are just like, oh, I couldn't get on board with this character. They were unlikable because they weren't soft and fuzzy and they weren't nice and they weren't palatable. And what frustrates me is they often say this about female characters. So, you know, it's okay to have a Joe Goldberg, but the female equivalent, a lot of them are just like, oh, I hated this character. I couldn't read this book. And I think we come to literature because we are empathetic people And we want to walk in the shoes of characters or people that we will never get to experience in our own lives. You know, readers become like actors that way. Every time we pick up up a book, we become a different person. And I think sometimes people are hardened by life experiences 
people have totally different experiences from us. And so they build up these kinds of walls. Women, especially, you know, there's something about female rage that mm. seems to put readers off. And yet, I'm sorry, as women, we should be able to express rage and vulnerability and our flaws, and we should still be likable. We should still be a character that readers want to get on board with because this is who we are in everyday life. None of us is perfect. We all have our own struggles. And I love seeing these kinds of different characters on the page. And I love that you love love it as well because you'll be surprised how many readers are completely turned off by that. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, I'm so glad I got to hear your thoughts on that. I'm thinking of Blood Sugar by Sasha Rothschild. I was too, Tina. Uh-huh. Cuz that is such a compelling thriller and she was one of the best. It we're always look Renee and I are always looking for a Joe Goldberg-esque character. I would love a female Joe Go- Joe Goldberg and she's the closest that I've seen. The the character from Ruby is her name from Ruby. Blood Sugar. Boy, if you haven't read that book, we recommend that both to anybody that likes a good thriller. Because in the beginning, you know that she's a murderer, but she's not a sociopath. And it's like really fun to watch the author kind of walk that line between unlikable, but somehow you're still rooting for her. Like, yes, these things happen, but you still, she's complex. And I love Mm -hmm. that. I love multi-layered, multifaceted characters. I actually have a creator writing student at the moment who's writing this kind of book that I am desperate for it to get published one day. And when it does, I know you you both will absolutely love it because it's this kind of morally gray, oh. very complicated female character. Buzzword, morally yep. gray. Love. Yep, exactly. <laughs> we just talked about that. Love morally gray characters for sure. Okay. okay so, so I would be curious to know if you had any insight on some publishing trends that are happening for 2023, like hot topics or what are agents looking for? You know what? Agents at the end of the day, what they are looking for is a really good story well told. You know, these these trends come and go, then it's werewolves, then it's not werewolves, then it's vampires, <laughs> then it's not vampires, then it's, you know, sexy werewolves, but not sexy vampires, <laughs> whatever. Like these things are going to come and go. And of course, TikTok has really influenced what people pick up. So the more a TikToker cries over something, the more readers respond <laughs> and the more they pick up the book, etc. So we're seeing a lot of these things coming through. But post-COVID, People seem to want pure escapism. They don't want heavy books. They don't want books that are going to make them sad and miserable and crying. They want to just have pure escapism. And that's what a lot of publishers have been looking for. Not books that reference COVID, for example. And of course, in terms of publishing trends, we see the books coming out based on a reaction to the world. So we have so many women authors who are filled with rage about the fact that their rights and bodily autonomy are being taken away from them. And so we are seeing more and more dystopian books about strong female characters, you know, in in being put in these predicaments, etc. Yeah, so CC doesn't even represent fantasy novels usually. My Witches of Moonshine Manor is a fantasy novel. It's about <laughs> witches. But because it's this feminist manifesto and because it's kind of a fun romp and because of its humor, she represented it. So honestly, in terms of stories out there, you know, we want pure escapism, but the pendulum's going to shift. People are going to go back to wanting the more serious things. So it's, it's difficult to chase trends in this industry. Yep. That makes sense too. And and I think you're right because by the time I think us readers recognize it as a trend, we're like, oh, but now I'm kind of over it. <laughs> we're very <laughs> finic- finicky as readers. Mm-hmm. So I could totally see that. I've seen a lot of climate fiction that is a trend and I am in like, I love it. I'm really into that still. Um, but yeah, that's mm-hmm. one. You said something earlier that made me think, oh yeah, climate fiction. I think that's a kind of real world what's going on today. I can totally see that being a trend. Yeah, we, we are definitely seeing a lot of that. And something else that I'm loving is how much social commentary our romances are having. Yes, you know, there are that. some readers who are very snobbish about what kind of, you know, uh, genres they will consume. And I read very widely. I read everything from memoir, nonfiction, thrillers, romance novels, literary fiction, you name it, because it covers the whole, like, 
human experience. Mm-hmm. And and why would you not want to read all of that? But but certainly, you know, romances uh, that traditionally just focus on the romance. What I'm loving seeing now, because I'm actually preparing for facilitating a romance panel discussion at the Alice Monroe Festival coming up in Ontario. And these are meaty romances. Mm-hmm. They are dealing with hefty, weighty social commentary and topics. And I'm loving that. I'm loving how we having these genre blends as well, which are so incredible. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's how I like my romance. Like I want a little romance, but like I also want <laughs> depth to it, which sounds terrible because I think it's like Im- implying that other romance doesn't have that, but I just want it all, I guess, is what I'm, I'm getting at. <laughs> and that actually gives us a kind of good segue into you know our next question for you. Tell us a little bit about what types of books you like to recommend to readers. Curated recommendation. Whenever somebody says to me, what book should I read next? Then I'm like, okay, tell me what kind of books you like. Uh What was the last book you couldn't put down, et cetera, et cetera. But there's been some books recently that it doesn't matter who I recommend them to, they love them. And this is people who are gay, who are straight, men versus women, older versus younger, like Lessons in Chemistry and the Thursday Murder Club. It doesn't matter who I recommended those books to, everybody loved them. But in general, you know, I'll be like, okay, you like more literary fiction? Have you read Still Life by Sarah Winman, which is one of my favorite novels of the last sort of two years. So I do try and and curate because some people have got very particular tastes and, you know, there's nothing better than recommending a book to someone and having them come back and say, I loved this book. It's like mm-hmm. it's like you saw something in their soul and mm-hmm. it resonated. And I always just love that. I completely agree. It, can we put you on the spot and ask for a recommendation for each one of us? Let's try. Let's tell you? Try. Okay. Oh, that's yeah, fun, yeah. Renee. I know. Sorry. I, if, it, if not, it's okay. So, okay. So do you want us to tell you a book we recently loved? Well, I'm in a literary fiction mood and I also love to be moved and I don't mind crying. I love to cry. So a book I recently really loved was Thirst for Salt by Madeline Lucas. Okay. So that's exactly the kind of book I love as well. But so did you read Still Life by Sarah Winman? No, but I do have the audio downloaded in my Libby. Oh my goodness. That book is just, it is so beautiful. The language is so lush and beautiful. And the insights will just, there were moments I was sobbing and there were moments that I was just so content and so happy. That book felt like wrapping yourself in a warm blanket on a cold night. It was just amazing. So, yep, that's my recommendation to you. Okay, thank you. I can picture the cover too. Like that, that makes sense with the cover that it's given. I want something that's going to hook me. I want something that's got those really solid five opening pages. Any genre. There's been so many recently. For you, in terms of the complicated female characters and the depth and all the rest of it, you have got to read Beware the Woman by Megan Abbott. Oh, okay. I'm sold. It's on my team. Okay. And I was curious about if I would like that one because her books for me are very complicated. Some I've loved, some I've liked less so, but I love the premise of this one. This is the one that just came out yesterday, I think, right? Yes. The premise is freaking amazing. It delivers. It's atmospheric. It's complicated. It's sort of just bubbling below the surface the whole time. So I I think you're going to like that one. And also anything, considering how you like complicated characters, anything by Eliza Jane Brazier. Yes. That's an excellent Mm-hmm. Her latest is Girls and Their Horses. Yes. And she is just incredible as well. Yes. Oh, that's a good one. I loved her last one, I believe. Yes. And so I'm excited about horses. Good. Thank you. That was fun. Yes, I'm glad you asked fun. Renee. Because <laughs> I, yeah, Renee is our questioner. She's so good with questions. Well, I, I love to get recommendations because we're out here doing giving recommendations every week and we don't often get books recommended to us. So yes. it's it's so fun. Thank you. I know. I'm going to have to get that Megan Abbott as soon as possible. Before we jump into what we've been reading lately, is there one piece of writing advice you can share for all the aspiring writers or current writers that are listening to our podcast? Most important is to give yourself permission to write and to muzzle the inner critic. 
There are so many people who say to me, Bianca, I've always wanted to write, but I'm not good enough. No one will want to listen to what I have to say. Who am I to think I can write a book? And I just say to them that picture the most toxic person you know. Picture someone out there in the world who everything they say is negative and they're always running people down. And when you're with them, you feel so drained after being in their company. And think of that as your inner critic. Uh And why would you allow that person into your head when you are sitting down trying to create magic that is putting words on the page? And honestly, if you can do that, while still dedicating yourself to the craft, to trying to get better, you are set and just enjoy yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the saying that drafting is shoveling sand into the sandbox so that later you can build sandcastles. Just get in that sandbox yep. and build your castles. That's yeah. my advice. That's a great <sighs> advice. Just get it on the page. When I was I was writing my dissertation, somebody told me to, this is not, take it with a grain of salt, to write drunk and edit sober. And I kind of liked that mindset because it's like, get it out there, put the stuff on the page and you can always fix it later on. You can always edit it later. So thank you for sharing that. That was great advice. All right. Are you talked out? Do you want to go first and share your latest read? Yeah. So two books that I want to recommend are books that I've actually just blurbed. You know, authors recommend other authors' books and, and our recommendation goes on the cover. They both just came out yesterday. One is Big Gay Wedding by Byron Lane, and it is just a joyful read. It's just so inclusive and full of love and just so deeply, deeply human. And the other is Pebble and Dove by Amy Jones. For any of your listeners out there who loved Remarkably Bright Creatures, this is the sort of comp for this book. It's about a manatee in Florida. You don't get the manatee's point of view like you've got the, you know, in Remarkably Bright Creatures, but just these books are just celebration of humanity. Definitely get them. Love that. Oh, I love that. Loved Remarkably Bright Creatures. That was such a fun read. But Marcellus, uh, what a a gem of a character. But I'll still take a, you said it's about manatees? Yes. I I could do that. Let me share my first one. It's, it goes in line with what I asked of you, where I want to get hooked from those first five pages. And it's Drowning by TJ Newman, which again is a recent release. Boy, TJ Newman is a flight attendant turned author, and her debut book, Falling, came out in 2021. And this is her sophomore novel. I really enjoyed this one. I actually put aside Falling, but I was really, really invested in Drowning. And it's truly an edge-of-your-seat thriller about a commercial jetliner that crashes into the open and what happens next. The book opens with the plane literally crashing six minutes after takeoff. During the evacuation, an engine explodes and the plane is flooded. There's still people on the plane. There's 12 of them, so they have to shut the doors and the plane sinks. And you know this is like within the very beginning. You do get dialogue from each of the 12 characters, but the story really focuses on two, Will Kent and his 11-year-old daughter, Shannon. The good news is Will is an engineer who works on machinery in and around the ocean, so he has this unique perspective to offer. Even though there's a lot of tension within the plane about whether they should listen to Will or not, and you'll have to see what they decide. Their only chance at survival is this elite rescue team on the surface led by professional diver Chris Kent, who just happens to be Shannon's mom and Will's (laughs) ex-wife. And they have to work together with Will to find a way to save their daughter and rescue the passengers, which is now teetering on the edge of an undersea cliff. I will say, you have to suspend a little bit of disbelief in this one. I don't know the science behind it. I don't know the mechanics. I know the author was a flight attendant, so there's definitely, you know, some, she's got that research there. But I I was in it. I was addicted. It was kind of the equivalent of watching a blockbuster movie, but in reading form. I really liked the audio. I would recommend that format. And my only minor critique is there are some character stereotypes that kind of graded on me, but overall, I think this is a very worthy addition to any summer TBR. That was Drowning by T.J. Newman. When you said blockbuster, there was a huge bidding war in terms of all the film companies who wanted this book. So they were all beating each other senseless to be the person <laughs> to buy the, I don't, I actually can't even remember who finally got the rights for the film, but yeah, they can't wow. wait to bring it to the screen. Oh, it, it lends itself to it. It's perfect for that. 
Oh, wow. Well, good for her. Okay. My first book is The Day I Died by Lori Rader Day. This is a part mystery, part psychological thriller. And it is about Anna Winger, who knows people better than they know themselves. And she does this with only a glance at their handwriting, which was such a unique, really unique premise. So she is hired by companies who are looking for trustworthy employees she also spends a lot of time helping lovelorn people find happiness. But in this story, she is called in to use her expertise on a ransom note left behind at a murder scene in the small town where she and her son have recently moved to. The crime very much gets under her skin. It is a potential kidnapping story of a two-year-old boy who may have been kidnapped by his mother or did something else happen? His babysitter is the one found murdered. No one knows where mom is. No one knows where the boy is. The local sheriff does not believe in Anna's brand of hocus pocus, but he does want to bring this little boy back. Now, there are several mysteries actually at play in this story, I love the premise. I love the overriding question, which is what happened to this little boy and what happened to his mother? But also very early on, we, the reader, become aware that Anna is also running and she has been running for many years. So what is she running from? What happened in her past and what's going to happen in her future? Is she going to stop running? Like there's a whole lot going on. It's absolutely fascinating what she can learn and what she does learn in this story from handwriting. I decided not to Google until I was done with the story, but I really need to go back and, and look into all this. I had no idea that so much information could be given about ourselves via our handwriting. Did not know that. So I actually think that the opening scenes and chapters and everything were really great. Pulled me right in. I listened to the audio. Hillary Huber is excellent. I do think while I was really invested in the mystery threads of this, which there's at least three mystery threads going on in here, there did come a point where it felt too wordy, too long, too many details, too just a little bit of like, let's refocus so we can get back to the mysteries. Also, this is a personal criticism for me. I don't enjoy reading about super mouthy, back-talking <laughs> teenagers. I, know, I do that's not. Like it, I, it's such a pet peeve of mine. And there was one in this story and it really took me out of the story. Anna's son you know, and yes, he might have his reasons, but I just didn't enjoy reading about that. So overall, I liked it. It's it's a good mystery, probably not one that will stay with me for a long time, but still entertaining. It's The Day I Died by Lori Rader Day. Graphology is the study of handwriting. Um, oh. And they actually consider it a bit of a pseudoscience because they say there isn't scientific evidence to back it. But I don't know. My handwriting's appalling and I think it just kind of tells you the state of my mind. So I, <laughs> I, I believe it. Mine yeah, changes a lot. So I wonder if that tells me something. If I'm easily swayed, which is true. I'm easily distracted. So maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, yeah, there has to be something to it. I mean, she, she sure did a lot of research to put that in the book. Yeah. Oh, that's good that it felt like it was, you know, well-researched. Oh, yeah, for sure. Right. My second read, boy, oh boy, it's Quietly Hostile by Samantha Irby. I am quite sure most listeners are familiar with Samantha Irby, but just in case you're not, let me tell you about her. She's a blogger and an essayist and honestly, one of the only writers that can legitimately make me laugh out loud. This is her fourth essay collection, and it was my favorite of all of hers that I've read, which I think is pretty impressive because they're all about her life and her stories and things she's going through. And this is her fourth and she's my age. So, you know, she, she's got a lot to draw from. It's really interesting to hear her kind of reflect on these different aspects of her career and her life. I have to say audio is definitely the way to go with this one. She narrates and has the best delivery. 
It's a little deadpan. It's a little dry, but so funny the way she says things. And in this book, she talks about her chronic illness, her wife, and her career that's taken to new heights because since her previous novels, her debut has been optioned and was almost made into a TV show itself. So she talks about the special kind of torture it is to try and cast yourself in your own, you know, pilot. And she also got to write for one of her very favorite shows. She loves Sex in the City, and there's a whole chapter dedicated to writing for and just like that, which is the Sex in the City reboot. Her essays are so funny and oddly relatable. There's a lot of potty humor, and I am not a potty humor girl. <laughs> so if that bugs you, just make a note. Still, my husband and I listened to this when we were on a long road trip, and I'm not lying when I said I had tears streaming down my face. And I'm not like a laugh out loud kind of person when I'm reading. I was crying laughing. I thought I was going to have to pull over. It's like, get yourself together. But he liked it too. So I think this has wide appeal. One of my favorite essays was called, I Like It, which perfectly encapsulates my feelings when someone comes back to tell me they didn't like something I recommended. Her response is to say, well, I like it. And that's it because it kind of totally disarms the person. And I was like, she's like really just capturing a piece of my soul with this essay. She's the best. I highly recommend this. It is Quietly Hostile by Samantha Irby. Oh, that's great. Uh, okay. <sighs> good, good times. My next read is Better Living Through Birding, Notes from a Black Man in the Natural World by Christian Cooper. <laughs> it comes out June 13th. Nice. All right. Yeah. When we were talking while you were getting the audio, Bianca, Tina was saying that she gets up in the morning and has been watching birds, which yeah. is not something we've ever talked about before. So that's, that's so why random. we're chuckling about this book. Yeah. So this is about Christian Cooper. This is a part memoir. It is his memoir, but I'm calling it part memoir, part travelogue, part primer on birding. It's a little bit of everything. And he is a self-described blurred, a black nerd. He's also an avid comics fan and an expert birder who devotes every spring to gazing upon the migratory birds that stop to rest in Central Park. And while in the park one morning in May of 2020, Christian was engaged in the birdwatching ritual that had been a part of his life since he was 10 years old when what might have been a routine encounter with a dog walker exploded age-old racial tensions. Christian's viral video of the incident would then be felt across the nation. Now, this is his story. The video is out there. You can see it if you want. But this book is way more than that video. It, And it's way more than, than birding. I initially thought, I wonder how much like birding stuff is going to be in here. I actually love birds. I think this could be my like someday hobby outside of books. <laughs> I really loved his storytelling ability. He tells the story of his life leading up to that incident and then past it. He shows how a life spent looking up at birds prepared him in the most uncanny of ways to be a gay black man in America today. He took us around the world to various locations. I mean, it's incredible. When I said I was in the mood for armchair travel, I did not know I was going to be getting so much armchair, armchair travel in this book. He also talks about his career creating comics with Marvel Comics and where he, what he's doing now, which now he also hosts a birding show on National Geographic. What a fascinating, smart man. Also, he narrates the audiobook. I highly recommend that. But I also, I really want to get the book when it comes out because I'm hoping it has photos in it. I don't know if it does. I don't have a copy of the print copy. But if it has photos, it would be fantastic to pair the audio with photos. If you like reading memoirs that are going to teach you something about, for me, something I didn't know anything about, a life that is so completely unlike my own. He took us on bird adventures. He shared facts and details about not only birds, but why is it so important that we preserve the migratory patterns of birds? Just really fascinating behind the scenes of birding. 
I really love this book. He will go in and he will also combine all of that with a, a strong look at racism and, you know, things that we are are really dealing with right now, today, still. I can't, I, I don't even know if I've read a book quite like this, but I think if you think it's just about birding, it's not. But if you really enjoy birding, you're really going to enjoy this too. This is Better Living Through Birding, Notes from a Black Man in the Natural World by Christian Cooper. Uh, I'm going to read this. ASAP, I know exactly the video you're talking about. As soon as you said it, I was like, a light bulb just shot off in my brain. I'm so glad that he's got this memoir, this book, and also a TV show. That's fantastic. Yeah. I want to check out his TV show. I didn't know he had that until I, I read the book, but I'm really fascinated by, I don't know, like someone who who knows, like just being this smart about things like migratory patterns and ber- different types of birds. I mean, he's like a, a bird encyclopedia. <laughs> <laughs> I bet this would pair well with Migrations, Renee. <gasps> I know. I still need to read that. Bianca, have you read Migrations by Charlotte? Charlotte Mc- no, but they, these both sound fascinating. And it's this is something that we would call memoir plus when we're discussing genres. You know, his, his book is definitely memoir plus. And I would have loved to have seen what he comped this book to because every now and again, a book comes out that is so singular that is so different to anything you've seen that I think finding comps for it must be incredibly tough. I would love to know what he would have comped this to also because I don't know. I've never read anything like it. It's a, it's a unique memoir and really engaging. But yeah, because it has so much in it, I don't know. I don't know what it would be comped to. Well, for any of your listeners who are book reviewers who are on Edelweiss, there, you know, there's the app Edelweiss yeah. and, and you can download books from them to review them. And Edelweiss gives you comps for the books. So that's generally a great place to find comp titles and, and have a look at other books that you might enjoy as well. That's a great suggestion. And I never remember to do that. <laughs> I love Edelweiss for that very reason, because I, I just love a good comp, even though I'd like I, I tell myself, don't get too excited. Like it could be, you know, it's going to be different. It's going to be its own book. But every time I'm like, oh, this sounds great. <laughs> but sometimes it does match up. So that's what's exciting. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, this was so fun. Thank you so much for coming on and talking with us. Thank you so much for having me. I am a huge book nerd. I'm a reader first and foremost. And yeah, chatting with you both is just like sitting around and having a few drinks with friends and talking about our favorite things. Perfect. And you have the coolest career. I love everything that you are into. Will you tell our listeners where they can find you? Oh, we we on the podcast has our socials, the shit about writing. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We're everywhere podcasts are. I am also as Bianca Murray author on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I love interacting with my readers. I love interacting with fellow readers. So yeah, let's start a conversation. Find me there and let's chat. Yes. And I can attest to that. I announced my pregnancy with your book in the background. my first baby. It was, uh, if you want to make God, yeah, if you want to make God laugh. And then I had like little baby onesies around it and you commented and I was like, oh my gosh, that's so cool that you, you know, saw it. And I was feeling a little cheesy that I had tagged you, but I was like, I want to share. And so, yeah, I can attest that you, you really, we've, I've been following you and DMing you for years. (laughs) And, And just for your listeners, when you love an author, reach out, tell them that. They love hearing that. Don't tag them on bad reviews because they don't like that part. But <laughs> if you love their work, honestly, reach out. You you make their day. Oh, that's such good advice. Can, Can we, we ask, ask really quickly, quickly, is there anything you're working on that you could or would like to share? Uh, so you know that writers fall into two categories, plotters or pantsers, right? Mm-hmm. So I am a major pantser. And as a pantser, I decided to write a closed room murder mystery that is pretty much knives out, meets succession, but with magical people. And can I tell you that to pants a closed room murder mystery, when you begin writing and you don't know who died, who killed them, (laughs) why they died, it is an exercise in madness. And I am in the (laughs) vortex of that at the moment. Oh, that sounds so fun, though. Love that. 
Oh, I'm yeah. having so much fun with it, but but let's see how it ends up. <laughs> <laughs> right in five to seven years, when everything go well, you've got an established track record now. But boy, you've like really shocked me. I think when is that time frame typically for debut or for anybody that's you know kind of an author? No, that's well for for a debut. Remember, it takes a bit longer to find your agent. Once yeah. you have an agent, you can skip that year. But for many writers, it takes about three years to write a novel. And then, like I say, once you sell it, unless you're such a big name author that they are quickly fast tracking the book because it needs to come out by a certain day. For everyone else, we're about 18 to 24 months out from from when we sell that book. So when, when you interview authors now about a book that's coming out today, they have already potentially sold another book in the meantime and are working on a completely different book. So they're busy speaking to you about a book that they've pretty much already forgotten because they wrote it so long ago. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Oh gosh. Well, well, that's it. That's it for today. We thank you for spending a part of your day with us. Links to all the books we mentioned can be found in the show notes. And if you enjoyed today's episode, you can help us by following wherever you listen and by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get our show out to new listeners and grows our audience. And of course, don't forget, if you'd like access to our exclusive bonus content and community, join us for $5 a month on patreon.com slash etc. If you'd like to connect with us, email us at booktalketc at gmail.com. You can also find us at booktalketc on Instagram, Tina at TBR, etc., and me, Renee, at It's Book Talk. Talk to you in two weeks. In the meantime, remember, everything's better with books. I, I can already tell my editor, John's going to kill me because I've got this, uh, what do you call it? Glass. Clinky. Clinky glass. <laughs> it's very clinky. I know. <laughs> Let me actually take this draw out. When we have guests on the podcast, wear all this jewelry. It's like, oh, oh. especially when they express it, right? And oh, then the that's uh, Bangles are clanking yeah. and the earrings. And it's like, oh, I know. My <laughs> bangles are quiet today. <laughs> but yes, okay, I'll try not to make too much noise. All right, here we go.